So that inspired me to start trying to learn to teach the same trick as many different ways as possible. Okay. Okay. And that helped me get to a point where I could actually reteach myself on my opposite side. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started learning how to twist both ways. What's up, guys? Today's guest is a world-renowned movement athlete and a co-owner of the Motive School of Movement. Please welcome to the Jamcast, Mr. Bob Reese. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? It's good to be here. Man, thank you for making the time to do this. Uh, I kind of told you this off screen, but you're one of our most requested guests. We've been getting crazy comments about you. Uh, and for the, those that don't know, we're actually meeting at midnight your time right now. Yeah, that's like a pretty pretty casual time for me. Typically, uh, you know, classes at the gym start, you know, the most common classes start anywhere between 12 and 4 o'clock. So I really don't have to like be up and going until later in the day when most people like are getting off school and getting ready to come to the gym. And then I prefer just to like train after at nighttime. I've always just been like a night person. So I typically train like after hours at night. So if I'm uh, if I'm not up late like tonight, like editing some kind of video, this is usually like my training hours. Like most of my like banger clips of me like training in the gym are like at like three in the morning. Like oh. <laughs> that's just usual for me. That's crazy. Yeah. When I, when I used to like, when I first opened my gym, which is funny, like when I first opened my gym, I was there till like two, 3 AM in the morning. And then like over the years, I'm like, okay, I could go at normal times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like it'll change over time, but like as of right now, and like most of my youth, honestly, I've always just been like a little more awake at night. You know, I have like a ton of friends and like people that just like are really just like morning people i've just never been like a morning person (laughs) like i just i have more energy at night that's amazing man and you've obviously been able to find a a career path now where you can make your own hours and set your own schedule and stuff like that uh and before we get into like you know your history within the the movement arts and stuff like that uh, i'd love to just talk about the gym that you just came from and stuff because i know you guys just recently opened within you know the last like calendar year uh under crazy circumstances of covid and stuff but uh for those that don't know can you just let people know Know a little bit about your gym. I know it's you know like I mentioned in the intro, the Motive School of Movement, based in uh, out. Where are you guys in Greenville, North Carolina? Uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, dope, dog. Okay, dope. So you're out in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, how many days a week you guys open, and how big is the facility? Because it's absolutely gorgeous. So we are. Um, we we've been open since we're well, supposed to open last March. I'll get into that in a second. Um, but yeah, we're based in Greenville, South Carolina. We're open as of right now, Monday through Saturday. We're only open on Sundays, and if someone like signs up for like a birthday party, but Sundays are usually like the day where all the owners just like finally get a day off and like need a rest day. Um, but yeah, Monday through Saturday, um, we typically have classes uh, anytime, like starting in the mornings for like homeschool classes and private lessons and stuff. And then typically our regular hour classes would be like from four thirty to seven thirty, And then every night from seven thirty to 10, we have an open gym where people can just come and train. And if they want to do that on a regular basis, they can sign up for a membership where it's a lot cheaper for them. If they want to come literally every single day to, to train open gym. So, so that people can get as good as they possibly want to get. And then on Saturdays, uh, we have like morning classes and then from noon until 10 people can actually come in for open gym that whole time. Oh, uh, so yeah, we have like a good bit of open gym time and man, it's been awesome seeing everyone progress and get better and like, just like building up the community here in South Carolina. It's been, it's been a real joy seeing like, um, you know, I'll probably get into talking more about my background later in this video, but, um, 
I started at, at a gymnastics place coaching parkour as well as gymnastics. And I never actually took gymnastics. I just like wanted to go. I'll get into that later. I'll talk all about my background. But essentially, I started teaching like nine, eight, nine years ago or something like that. Okay. And a lot of my kids that I first started with, you know, they were like five-year-olds. And now they're like coming into my gym in this facility. And they're like full-grown like teenagers now. And it's like so crazy to see their progress. Like back then, they were just like a bunch of goobers like goofing around just like being little like five-year-old kids just like being there because their parents made them or whatever and now like a lot of them truly look really enjoy the sport and like they're just like grinding hard and learning super fast and it's it's such like a pleasure to see that's so dope man and uh you know correct me if i'm wrong but i believe i read that you actually uh were a student of brett sims at like greenville gymnastics and that's where you had met each other and uh, like over the course of your guys' relationship, obviously he focused a little more on Ninja Warrior, you focused a little more on your movement, um, but you guys collectively came together with the idea of opening this gym. And I think it took you guys like three years of planning, but how long did it actually take to take it from an idea to an actual building? So yeah, like you said, uh, Brett was like the first person really that I met through parkour. Um, I started by just kind of like watching videos on YouTube and just trying stuff in my yard. And I guess technically the first person I met was my neighbor, who was the one who originally showed me like what parkour was. Um, I like kind of heard about it a little bit and I watched like the David Bell movie and that's how I first heard of it. But I didn't know really what parkour was until my neighbor, I moved, I moved um, from Hawaii to here in South Carolina. I'll probably get more into that backstory. I'll talk all about my backstory in a little bit. But essentially, I moved here, and my neighbor knew what parkour was. And I was like, I watched a movie on that once. And it was the David Bell B-13 movie. And I was like, I'm really interested in learning that. He started teaching me that. Eventually got to the point where I was like, man, I'm too scared to learn flips outside. I need a gym. Went to a gym, and the person who was in charge of the program was Brett Sims. And that's how me and Brett met. Over the time, I got like super addicted, started coming like like all the time into Greenville Gymnastics. And eventually, he got to the point in his adulthood, because he's actually 10 years older than me, yeah. we, he got to the point where he wanted to get like a different job and start making more money. So he trained me essentially to like take his position. So I took over and started taking over the program there as he left to get a different job. And um, over that time, as he went to get a different job, he still used all his free time to come and train. And... We trained together all the time, became best friends, and over the years, it was kind of like, over the years, we always had the idea, like, man, we should, like, make a gym, like, we want to make it happen, we want a place where we don't have to just, like, be in the corner of a gymnastics gym, we want, like, the actual equipment that it takes to, like, make professional athletes and, like, you know, let people uh, progress in the way that we wanted to be able to progress, so, uh, yeah, we started, we always kind of talked about it, and then, you know, after knowing each other for, I don't know, six, seven years, um, he came up to me one day and he was like, Bob, like, it's it's a possibility. Like, we can actually make it happen. Like, I know a guy who's got, like, a space coming up that might be available. And, like, we can start playing on this and making this a reality. And I was like, man, you know I'm already in. Let's do it. So there's actually four owners now. So it started with I Knew Brett. And then Brett's wife got in on it, so her name's Grace. And then there's another guy named Boone Catherine. All three of them have been on American Ninja Warrior before. I, I'm i going to be on this year. I got the call back, so I'm actually going to be on this year. But, yeah, so they kind of all knew each other from, like, Ninja Warrior stuff. And then I just knew Brett through parkour stuff. And then uh, 
yeah, so we started getting together and we wrote up like a legit like business plan so that we could try to get a loan to be able to afford having a facility the size that we wanted. And uh, yeah, after three years of planning and talking to people about getting loans and talking to people about like exactly what location we wanted, um, we started with the idea of like, hey, we have this location kind of picked out and that fell through, looked through like three other locations and eventually it all kind of just like came together and worked out. But man, it was it was a long process and I learned so many things like like I, I went to college for two years and I got my degree uh, I got a business degree because my parents wanted me to but man I learned so much more making this business than I have literally anywhere in my entire life like I knew nothing about building now Brett and honestly the other two owners all three of them they knew tons about like building and and how to like make things just like how to build things essentially i knew nothing about building i had absolutely no experience with building before and all of them like kind of just like helped me because we didn't have the financials just to pay like tons of people to build our gym for us like we had to grind that out and like do that work and i didn't know what i was doing so like along the way i just watched them and learned and like there are so many things that i learned like along the way it was it was it's been an incredible experience and i'm still learning every day that's crazy man and and like, I don't want to misspeak right now, but I feel like I saw videos of you guys when you were in the process of building the gym and it looks like you guys were actually building the gym from scratch. Like, did you guys actually erect a building from the foundation all the way up to what it is now? Yeah. So that's one of the really cool things about uh, our situation. Can you hear my dog barking? Yeah, it's all good. My dog's right next to me and I'm like, please don't bark. <laughs> I'm like hoping he doesn't hear your dog. Sorry about that. No, it's pass out. We got we got a new puppy and he's just he's being crate trained. He is freaking out right now. It's low key. I could barely hear it. I was just nervous my dog was gonna hear and start going off. But yeah, you're good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, he's super cute. I'll 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 talk forever about my pets. Um. Sorry. One more time. What was the question? Yeah. So like, I I think one thing that's unique about your gym is I, you know, I own a gym myself. Tons of my friends do. But I think what was cool was you guys actually built your building from the foundation up. So you didn't have to like move into a pre-existing space. You got to actually erect a space that you wanted to. Yeah. So that was that's been super cool and super exciting. So um, we got the so the the, there was four owners and one of them that one I talked about earlier, Booty Catherine. His father uh, owns like a bunch of, of properties here in Greenville. And one of the properties that he owns is the one that he was building at the time and that we ended up actually getting to be a part of, which him being a part of this is the reason that we're still open during COVID. Yeah. So I'm going to talk more praise and thanks about that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been super cool along the way because we we designed it how we wanted it to be and i knew that we we wanted in-ground trampolines and we wanted an in-ground like resi pit space and that's something that i we didn't have a greenville gymnastics we had above ground trampoline and everyone was always scared to learn things on trampoline because they were scared of falling off and it just like wasn't that safe and then having an in-ground resi would i knew be like super super helpful as well for like all the skills that i wanted to teach people essentially so it was super super helpful to have have the ability to be able to be like hey like here's the building space as it's being built let's put holes here and like, let's put this here and this here and it made it it made it a lot easier to be able to design the space instead of having to have a space and work around like how we want it to be built instead we got we got to kind of create the space that that we got to exist in which was 
a really cool opportunity that uh, I know most people don't get to experience. So that's super cool. 100. And I think one of the coolest things about your gym, you know, with the ex- besides it being built from the ground up is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, parkour gyms out there. There's a lot of like Ninja Warrior gyms out there, but a lot of them are very like type specific. And I think your gym is probably the first one in the world that really is a combination of both elements, like to a very, very high level, if that makes sense. You know, instead of like having a parkour gym that has just like a salmon ladder here, you guys seem like you have so many ninja obstacles on top of having some legitimate parkour stuff. So it seems like one of the coolest gyms in the world. I definitely got to make it out there. Yeah, for sure. We're definitely not just like a parkour gym. That's just like my passion and part of it. And even like that is uh, part of the reason that we have so many different kind of styles and things that and equipment for learning different types of movement is my style in parkour. Like, I don't really just strictly do parkour. Like, I do trampoline, I do tricking, I do parkour. Like, I try to mix in as much as I can. Shoot, if someone gave me, like, if someone told me they'd give me a cheap ballet lesson, I would take a ballet lesson right now. Like, I just love movement in general. So, like, that that's kind of how I wanted to base the gym around because I wanted to have a parkour section. I wanted to have a section where you can learn really cool stuff on trampoline. I wanted to have a spring floor dedicated for tricking. And then, you know, Brett was more focused on the Ninja Warrior side. And he's thought through his the Ninja Warrior design so in-depth. Like, he's, he's gone all around the world traveling to different ninja gyms. And I've gone all around the world traveling and seeing different parkour gyms. And both of us combined, like, we, we really knew what we wanted. And we knew what is really helpful to have in order to help people to progress to where you know to get past the point where we are now you know if we want to raise students to become even to get even farther than we are now we knew what we needed to have in our gym for that and that was super like helpful to have that knowledge of like what what we need what what exact equipment we need in order to like essentially build the best athletes that can possibly exist and also build a space where you can have a ton of fun yeah Hell yeah. And now you just kind of alluded to it right now, how like your style is, is one that you can't really like put into a box as far as categorically and stuff like that. So can you just kind of give us an insight into how your journey into movement started? Uh, was it those like first, you know, gymnastics school where you met Brett at where you didn't take gymnastics or what, what was your introduction into movement, I guess? So my introduction to movement was, uh, essentially I went to like a family, uh, gathering, uh, which most of my, like aunts and uncles and everyone they all live up in delaware so that's like where my family is like mostly from which is funny because like you don't really know anyone from delaware. i don't know anyone from delaware <laughs> i don't know a single person <laughs> now you do so i technically never really lived in delaware because my dad was in the air force so we traveled around a bunch and i never really lived in delaware but for the first year of my life i was born in delaware and then my dad got traveled around a bunch for for air force stuff um, so I was up in Delaware visiting family and my uncle was, my uncle's like super into just like learning a ton about everything. And he was watching the David Bell movie and like learning about parkour. And he like showed it to me cause he was like, man, it's super interesting. You should watch this movie with me. And that was like my first like look at parkour I was watching the David Bell B13 movie. And then shortly after that, my dad, uh, we got, he, he retired, so he got a choice to move, like, get moved one last time to the Air Force that the Air Force would pay uh, to move us for. And my oldest sister was graduating high school and going into college at the time. So at that time, my dad just wanted to stay together as a family as long as possible. So what he did is he 
when he retired, he chose to move to South Carolina so that we could all just live around where my sister wanted to go to college. Um, so we all moved here, and when I moved here, that's when I met my neighbor who did parkour, and I watched that movie, and I was like, yo, I want to learn parkour. And of course, the first thing I wanted to learn was a backflip. That's like all I cared about was just learning a backflip. That's like what intrigued me most. Um, so one day, my neighbor was throwing away his mattress, and I was like, oh, perfect. We dragged that into the yard. There's no way I can get hurt. Like, <laughs> I can learn a backflip. There's no way I can get injured with a single mattress on top of grass, <laughs> which is not true. Thankfully, I didn't get hurt. I got lucky, but, like, I just pulled that mattress into my yard, and me and my friend, who, who he knew a little bit about parkour, he kind of just, like, did a few of them, showed me the basics. I like, watched a few on YouTube in slow motion, and then I just, like, hucked a bunch of them. Like, the most unsafe way you can learn backflip possible. And I got addicted super quick. Like, I was immediately addicted. I just wanted to keep doing backflips. I wanted to learn front flips. I wanted to look up what other kind of flips existed. I got addicted super quick. And, uh, yeah, after just, like, doing a bunch of flips on that mattress, and uh, then he also started teaching me, like, the basic, like, vaults that there are, Kong vaults, safety vaults, all the just basic vaults that exist. Um, once I got through all that stuff, I was, like, just craving to learn more. So I did some research and I was like looking up uh, any type of place that would teach that nearby. And I found out there was a place called Greenwood Gymnastics that um, had like an open gym time that older people could come and just kind of like use the open gym to like learn stuff like parkour. And then there was Brett who was there, who was kind of a, um, it was like a, technically it was like an open gym, but Brett used a lot of his time to like, during that open gym, instead of just supervising, he used a lot of his time to, like, he would keep an eye on everyone, but he would also, like, anyone who seemed like they were bored or didn't know what to work on, he would just go give them challenges. And, like, he was a really big inspiration to me when I started. Like, he he did an amazing job at pushing me to do things that I was scared of. Like, I would purposely only work on, like, bolts or flips that I like, wasn't scared about. And he would push me. He's like, hey, man, you suck at bars. Let's go do some bars. <laughs> so we would, we would go work on bars, and he would make me get better at that. And then he was like, well, let's work on this. You're not good at this. I'm like, you're scared of doing this. And he would push me to get out of my comfort zone. He was really good at doing that with everyone who came into the gym, which really built up the community and made a strong community here in Greenville. And I, I definitely dedicate, like, that first part of parkour where I came into to training in Greenville, getting to know everyone who does parkour here in Greenville, I, I, I think that's mostly because Brett was so good at just, like, pushing people to where he knew their limits were and just inspiring people to, to do stuff and have fun and just be a good community, which was super cool and inspiring. And then slowly, you know, that, kind of, that role kind of got transferred over to me as he got older. Um, and then I just, you know, using his inspiration of, like, how he taught people, I kind of slowly fed off that and tried to build off it even more. I started doing tons of research on how to coach better because after a year of going to Greenville Gymnastics and training there with Brett, Brett started to want to get his other job and, and start making more money. And I wanted, to, I wanted to get into the gym for free, essentially. <laughs> like, I didn't care about coaching that free much. Training, I just yeah. wanted to start training for free because I was getting older. My mom was going to, like, you know, I, I got I to gotta get a job to pay for this kind of yeah. stuff. You know, she was, like, paying for my first, like, open gym lessons. And then she's like, all right, well, you need to get, like, a license and a car and pay for gas and pay for these gym lessons. And I was like... Well, if I get a job there, at least I don't have to pay for that. <laughs> so that's like the initial reason why I started coaching. And then 
man, it had to have been over a year before I knew what I was doing with coaching. Like I coached and I shadowed under other people and it was so hard for me because I started coaching when I was 15 and a half, which, you know, is a kind of typical age to start teaching. But for me, someone without any type of gymnastics background, I never like babysat. I'd never been in charge of a kid before. And at 15 and a half, I did not know what I was doing. Like I tried my best and the kids like loved me. But man, I let the kids walk all over me. I didn't know I didn't know how to discipline a kid, so it was extremely difficult to coach for the first year. And after that first year, I didn't. I I mean, I knew all the basic progressions of what to teach because of like what I learned, but I didn't know how to discipline a kid, and I didn't know like just how to run a class essentially. So my first year was probably the hardest year of coaching, just like learning how to run a class and how to effectively make everyone like listen to you and inspire them without letting them walk all over you and that that's something that if 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 you do parkour and you haven't started coaching yet like you'll learn real quick if you don't know how to discipline kids like they will they will walk all over you dude and honestly that's probably gonna help me be a like a way better parent whenever i do decide to have kids eventually so i'm really like happy that i i went through that 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 trial period where it took me a while to learn how to discipline kids um but yeah, after like a year or so, I started to learn how to discipline kids better. And I started getting super interested in just like learning more, like more things about gymnastics because I realized I didn't really know what I was doing. Like when I first started parkour, like I would, I had a good bit of strength. I was pretty strong and I had confidence. I would just like, I wouldn't be that scared to just throw stuff, but I would get injured every now and then because I would just throw stuff. I didn't learn through pro- proper progressions and I didn't like do any side drills i would just watch a trick in slow motion and then just go for it which is like i feel like how most people started in like in my era like we didn't have progressions we didn't have tutorial videos like (laughs) we had tutorial videos for like maybe a few flips but like none of the advanced flips because they didn't exist yet so i got super interested in just like learning how to break down things better and like really watch like the body positionings and like gymnastics helped a lot with that. I would like literally stay after for like several hours after coaching and after I'd go to school all day, I'd coach for several hours and then I'd purposely stay after and just watch all the other gymnastics coaches teach the gymnastics students. And they got, at Dreamers Gymnastics, they specifically were really, really good at breaking down body positions and really studying like what body positions you have to hit during certain tricks and why you have to hit those positions. And so I learned a lot from that and then I realized the more I started to study it that gymnastics isn't always efficient. Sometimes it's about just being pretty. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just about like keeping your toes pointed, keeping your legs straight. And then sometimes keeping your toes pointed and your legs straight is actually efficient movement and it actually helps you like propel further into your tricks. Um, so I started kind of comparing like, well, what actually is efficient and what isn't? And I started breaking down um, how to learn things to a point that I never had to learn in order to learn it myself. And that helped me become a better coach. Cause I learned by just watching and then doing it first. And then as I started to get more advanced, I learned by safely breaking down progressions and trying those progressions and getting my way up to the tricks. And then I took a few uh, seminars. I got certified in teaching parkour through Apex. Yeah. And uh, as I got certified through them, they told me there's like several different ways that people learn, you know, not everyone learns just, through like hearing you be like, all right, straighten your legs. Some people have to see you straighten your legs. They have to see it first. Some people you have to spot them. You have to physically make their legs straight so they can feel it. Like everyone learns differently. So that inspired me to start trying to learn to teach 
the same trick as many different ways as possible. Okay. And that helped me get to a point where I could actually reteach myself on my opposite side. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I started learning how to twist both ways as I wanted to see if my progressions would work. And I didn't know who to teach them on every now and then because I'd just be there after hours at three in the morning training. I was like, well, I'll just try on my opposite side with this new progression and see if it works. And I would try to learn things with different progressions that I like just made up on the spot. And some of them worked great, some of them didn't work. And just through trial and error, I got to the point where I really felt like I understood the movement and how to teach it and how to discipline a kid and how to make people like truly listen to me when I'm trying to convey these thoughts to them. And I got really good at like figuring out each way an individual kid learns. So like if I had a kid in class and I, I showed him this one way of learning something, he wouldn't like pick up on it quick. And I would like look at social cues and things of like what he's paying attention to. And I was like, oh, well, like this kid's doing this. Obviously he's gonna learn better if I actually put him in that body position. He obviously like learns to feel better. And I just got to learn to understand people like a lot better through that whole experience. I mean, it took a while, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've been coaching for like over over 10 years now or something like that. And I really feel like I've gotten to a point where I can break it down that I'm like really happy about just like coaching in general. I, I can get kids to progress a lot faster than I used to be able to and in the safest way possible. So it's been, it's been a journey, man. <laughs> I know yeah. I kind of rambled on for a while about that, but I get excited about it. No, bro. I think this is exactly what people want to hear. You know, like we, all we get to see is like the, the end product of your videos where we see, you know, all the masterful skills that you're able to achieve on your own personal body. But like, you know, to hear this is just crazy. I was going to ask you how you were able to start unlocking things on both sides and you just literally, you know, gave the answer right there. But just for like a frame. There was actually a couple, couple reasons why I started learning things on both sides. And that was just like one of the reasons. So one of the reasons is I wanted to learn to teach those progressions that I was coming up with. And then there was a few other reasons and all those reasons kind of blended together to the point where I was just like, well, I'm just gonna learn to do a bunch of things on both sides. One of the reasons was I started to get really bad patellar tendonitis and my knees started to hurt a ton. And I really like was working on corks and double corks. And I was like, man, my leg cannot take this today. I'll try my other leg. (laughs) Typical. That's probably like, 30% 30% of the reason why I learned to twist on the other side is just because I was like, man, I can't use this leg today, but I really want to learn cork, so here we go. <laughs> that is crazy, man. And now you kind of spoke about it, how like, you know, you were coaching, uh, started coaching around like 15 and a half. Just for frame of reference, like uh, how old were you when you first saw District B13, the movie? And then how many days and hours per week do you think you were training until you got to like the level where you're at, you know, where you felt comfortable? Um... So, from that first point where I just started training, like I learned the backflip and I started training, I got invested super quick. And that's something that my entire family's kind of been known for. Um, we, we get super addicted to things super quick, which is one of the reasons that I will never do like drugs or alcohol because we get addicted so quick to things. And I've been addicted to parkour for over 10 years now and I'm not going to stop, you know? So like, I I know my personal background, I know what I should and shouldn't get into, but, um, that's kind of a side topic. Um, I got super addicted to parkour super quick. So when I first started training parkour, I literally trained it every single day, like several hours a day. Like I had just moved to South Carolina. I was going to a new school. So at the time, I really didn't have that many friends. I didn't have anyone to like hang out with after school. Like 
It was a new environment for me. I had that one friend across the street who knew what parkour was. So he like showed me the basics. And then I literally just like YouTube search, YouTube search, just like looking up every single trick possible. And every day after school, get my homework done. As soon as it was done, parkour for the rest of the day, like only training, like several hours a day. And that was fine up until I was about like, 1920 and then it started to hit me on my knees because i wouldn't work out i didn't do any like conditioning no like rehab nothing like yeah. literally just like four to six hours of parkour like every day like so much training and it caught up to me on my knees when i was like 1920 and then it took me until i was about like 22 to figure out how to actually condition and prevent my knees from like falling apart um, and that's a whole nother side story that we can get into if you want. <laughs> yeah, that, that is crazy, man. I, I'm always interested to hear about people, you know, that have pushed their bodies to such an extreme limit like yourself. Uh, and obviously with how young our sport is, we don't really have too many guys in the parkour and freerunning community that we got to watch like generationally to see what's going to happen to their bodies. So yeah. How has your body held up over the years after being in the sport for over a decade? So when I first started when I was 15, I was like, pretty strong body weight ratio wise okay. but i wasn't actually that built like i was kind of a twig <laughs> um, so when i first started i had a few issues with well first of all i have osgood slaughter so oh, no. let me let me show you my kneecap you probably already know what it is but i have it as well oh yeah, yours is big like I have two kneecaps essentially yeah and osgood slaughter is just like a thing you get as you're like developing and getting older so i had to deal with that um and that wasn't something i really had to like do a bunch of conditioning to fix or anything it's just like if you have that it just kind of sucks growing up and you just have to deal with it yeah. um but as i started to get older um well actually before i started to get older when i was younger i was like i was saying i was skinnier um i had i had some wrist problems doing big dive cones and like hurtling off my hands and stuff my wrist couldn't take it because i was just skinny and uh as i started to get older and brett started to push me to do more tricks on bars and things and I just started to like eat more because I was growing more, I guess. Um, I just started to get like thicker and more built on my upper body. So my wrist, my wrist problems started to hurt at first when I first started training because I just like wasn't that built. And then as I started to do it more and like eat more and grow more, like everything just kind of got like thicker and stronger. And then my wrist problems went away. And I haven't had any wrist problems since like since I got to like you know, 17 or something like that. So that went away and I haven't had to deal with anything like that. Um, but then when I got about, like I was saying, like 19, 20, I started, uh, getting, getting some serious, like patellar tendonitis and knee pain. And at first I just thought it was like my hospital started getting worse. And then I started to realize now it's like a different pain. I need to learn to deal with this. Went to a few doctors who didn't really know what they were talking about. They like, I literally went to the doctors and they were like, oh yeah, you have like 10, uh, patellar tendonitis. And I was like, sick, what do I do? And they like literally went on Google, typed up patellar tendonitis like looked at the first exercise and like printed it off and handed it to me like no. yeah, do this and i was like no what? what are you why am i paying you <laughs> like this is awful <sighs> so i immediately like was like all right well i gotta do the research for myself because apparently like i can't even trust every doctor that is there so i uh i started looking for more answers i started just kind of doing trial and error of like what worked and what didn't work and i tried a bunch of different conditioning things and i finally came up with with some stuff that worked and as i started to travel and compete more and i was still doing parkour i was trying to figure all this out i started meeting more people along the way who had similar problems and new people and i started like building up um i started like adding into my conditioning um 
what other people were doing as well, seeing what worked mm-hmm. and didn't work. And I even met like a few like physical therapists along the way who like really studied it and gave me some great advice as well. And over time, I came up with a bunch of different um, exercises and stretches that would stretch out the right parts of my body to kind of relieve that that knee stress of my tendons pulling on each other, as well as doing exercises to prevent it from from getting worse, and then actually eventually getting better the more I did those exercises. Um, which I'm thinking about making a YouTube video on just like explaining all that and getting more in depth in that because it's some really helpful information that I think that the, uh, the new up and coming parkour community should really know because most of the kids who are doing parkour right now, especially if they're like anywhere between 12 and like 17, probably don't realize it, but in a few years, their knees are going to start hurting if they don't do this sort of conditioning especially since parkour is getting to the point where kids are doing way higher impact tricks than I was when I first started. When I first started parkour, a backflip was like super hard. Like yeah. anyone who could fool was a god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you could shut down the session with a court. Now in order to be like, to have a reputation, <laughs> you have to get like a triple fool. So like, it's crazy how much more impact you kind of have to take and how much more technique you have to have in order to like, be known in parkour right now so i think uh uh there's definitely going to be more rehab and prehab and conditioning and stretching that needs to be done um especially of that up-and-coming youth if they want to continue to be as uh you know if they want to continue to push the sport yeah 100 man and now you know from someone that you know detailed like how often you were in the gym studying people and coaching and then obviously as a gym owner yourself uh what percentage of time did you spend training inside comparative to outside? Because obviously we see samplers of you and, you know, we know that you can do a lot of these high-level skills outside. But what percentage of your time was spent indoors? And do you still enjoy training indoors more comparatively to outdoors? Or is it like a, a combination of both? Um, let's see. When I first started, when I was learning the basics, I learned them all outdoors for like the first like half year or something like that because I just didn't even know the gym existed. And then once I found out about the gym, I was paying to go there once a week. And then every other day, I just like trained outside. And I would either try to take the skills that I learned in the gym, like slowly throughout the week, I would try to take them outside. Or I would just work on like getting bigger jumps, bigger vaults, bigger swings, just like I'm nearby like playgrounds and things like that. And most, most of my training for the first few years was probably outside. I only trained in the gym like once a week. And then after about two years of doing parkour, when I started working at gymnastics a bunch more, I would just stay after hours and train in the gym more. So um, at that point, when I started working at the gym, that's when I started training in the gym more, uh, maybe even like equal to the amount of time that I spent outside training. Um, So it it was about equal for a few years there. And then as I started to get closer to like graduating high school, getting into college, I had to get more hours at the gym in order to be able to just pay for things. So then I was there for more days, and then it slowly converted to, well, I had to train in the gym more than outside because I was just there all the time working. So like, And I didn't mind it. I loved working there. I loved training there. But the, the time did get converted from me training outside to training more inside just because I was there and I had to work more. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now that, now that I own my own gym, it's, like, even more so that way where, I have to be there all the time. I own the place. I work there all the time. Like I'm just there all the time training, and I it's not a bad thing. It's just different than than how I started. You know, I'm I'm inside more than I am outside. But 
I still make it a point to at least once a week try to get some outdoor training in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have, I have tons of fun with it, whether it's indoor or outdoor. I will say that it's much easier to uh, get better at flips and things where you have to be upside down uh, in a gym. Whereas if you're just learning literally just jumps and bolts, um, those you can pretty much, like, learn outside pretty efficiently without, like, getting hurt as long as you know the right progressions and you have like the right teacher uh, above you but in order to like learn sketch flips you pretty much just have to have pads like yeah. if you want to learn it efficiently i mean there's always progressions to learn things outside but they're just way slower you're gonna progress way faster if you have mats in a gym and it's just like way safer and more everyone learns differently and there's more progressions in a gym than there are out of the gym yeah, totally agree with that, man. And now along the lines of like you training in a gym for, you know, an extended period of time once you were back there coaching and stuff like that, uh, two of my favorite videos on your channel are Moving Blocks Part 1 and Part 2 in 2014 and 2017. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it, we'll probably put a little clip on the screen right now, but definitely head over to Bob's channel, check it out. Um, for those that haven't seen it, it's cool because you guys are doing in-gym training, but in unique circumstances because the blocks aren't just static. You guys are constantly moving them and doing cool combinations and stuff like that. Um, is there a video in your mind that stands out as your own personal favorite that you've created over the years? You know, you're someone that's put out so much content across Instagram and YouTube and across so many different platforms and channels, which we'll talk about. But uh, I just want to know if there's one that is like the most meaningful to you or stands out the most. Um, there's like different categories of it. So Let's name them, dog. Name them. <laughs> the first video. I don't even know if this is on my current channel. If this is on my first channel, Ooh. I have like a first channel that I made for YouTube that only has like real old clips of me that are like kind of cringe, like <laughs> backflips where like I can't even tuck properly. Like my knees are sticking out and like real bad parkour. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what it is. I'll, I'll plug it. So if you want to look up real cringe parkour videos of me, look up Robert Reese one. Oh, there we go. That'll come up and it's, oh gosh, dude, there's some, there's some cringy stuff on there. Um, yeah, real bad technique. Don't look at technique for that video at all. Just look at it and laugh and just know that you can be better than me. Cause that's where I was at 15. So if you're younger than me, you're younger than 15 and you're starting, you can easily be better than what I was. Um, <laughs> my current channel, Bob Reese channel, um, I don't know if this one's on the first channel or not, but the first video that comes to mind that was like my first video that actually got over a thousand views, which made me like super excited to like just get more into like making more parkour films, was we made a, a group parkour video, and I'm not even sure what it's called, like probably just like Greenville Parkour or something like that. I'll look it up someday. Um, but I'll look it up and like send it to you after or something. But uh, it was a video of like the Greenville community when I like first met them. So like, ah, sick. All, all the people when I like, when I first went downtown for like the first time and just like met everyone and started training with everyone. I was like, man, I want to make a video with all you guys. And it's literally just like all those old school type parkour videos where like, there's like four of us in a row, like jumping the cat grab. And there's like four of us in a row like doing flips. And it's like, some of the stuff on there was actually pretty crazy. There were some crazy people in the community that I like really looked up to. Like there was a guy named Rico and a guy named Chad, and both of them like front flipped off this thing that was like had to be like twelve feet off the ground. It was like real high. Totally. And it was over a wall down to like some grass and like over a spiky bush too. So it was already sketched as that. And like I was scared to hang in cat grab from it and like drop down to the ground. And this guy Chad, man, he 
he just dove front flip over it and just like landed perfectly and executed it and it blew my mind and then this guy rico was like man i'm not gonna let him show me up i gotta be the best and he freaking tunnel flipped it no he way hurdled like, over a wall and tunnel flipped like 12 feet down over a wall and like Man, it was like so crazy and inspiring, and like I made a video out of all of us just like training together and putting that all together, and that was like my first video that blew up. And I think a good bit of the reason that it blew up and it was my first video that got a thousand views was so many people were in it, and I think that's where a lot of people are mm-hmm. getting a lot of their followers nowadays as well on social media is through collaborations. Yeah. And I haven't been as hardcore on collaborations, and I could probably have way more followers if I focused on it more. But that was my first video that blew up, and I think that's why so many people work on collaborations nowadays. It's like, that's how you get a bunch of views. If you put a bunch of people in a video and they all share it, it's going to get more views. Um, so that was my first video that, like, in my mind, blew up. It was only 1,000 views, so compared to like, some of my videos now, that's not that big. But for me, that was really big at the time. You know, That was my first video that hit 1,000. And then after that, my next video that blew up, I'm not sure which came first, but it was either Moving Blocks 1 or my first Red Bull Art of Motion submission. But both of those were around the same time, I think. They're both sure, they're both in 2014, yeah. When people say, like, oh, I've been following, Bob, I've been following you forever. Like, I've known you since this video. They always either say moving blocks or my art of motion submission. Yeah. Those are, like, my two, like, most common things that, like, people, like, like found me for. Um, so those ones, like, moving blocks one, two, and three, and then all of my art of motion submissions, those are all, like, like my heart and soul of like what I really put a lot of work into and the art of motion submissions obviously like I put a lot of work into them because I spent like you know the whole year leading up to that point just trying to get those tricks and take them outside but the moving blocks videos were a whole nother challenge in a whole nother way like I don't know if you've ever tried anything with moving blocks. Yeah, I have. It's it's crazy the amount of coordination. It even the guys just pushing the blocks is just like a skill in itself, you know? Like yeah, yeah. it's terrifying yeah. because like even the most basic trick, it becomes terrifying because you have to trust someone else to do their job, or you might just land on your head. <laughs> like exactly. you literally like. The scariest ones are big faults. Like if you're just doing a massive double kong or a big dive kong, you're literally just diving in the air in the in the body position that you need to be in, just waiting for your landing to suddenly appear below you, which is such a crazy, scary thing. And it was really fun making all those films because of that. But man, it took so long to make every single one of those. Every single one of moving blocks one, two, and three, they all took a minimum of six months to film. I was because, just going to ask, okay. Because to, we, had, we had to have a minimum of five people for mm-hmm. every shot and to get five people to use their open gym time <laughs> in order to help out with this film and like do this thing was like pretty hard to do. And on top of that, they were really like, we tried to make them pretty complicated. Yep, so like, yep. not only was it like you had to use everyone like, you know, between five and 10 and 20 people, you got to use all those people to kind of coordinate a shot together during their open gym time that they're paying there to be there for. On top of that, the person has to land the trick. So like it can take like an hour, two hours, who knows how long to land the whole thing and coordinate it as well. Like each shot in that video had to be like a minimum of an hour. to like get that to get each shot. And, you know, open gym at that time was only like, two hours long or something like that. So a lot of the shots we did stay at late after hours, you know, a lot of us were working there and like 
Um, you know, they're just like, oh, well, we'll just like stay late, not charge anyone to stay extra because like we're using their time that they paid to be here for. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just like a lot of work in general. Like it took at least six months to film each one of those, but I'm really happy we did it. Like it was, it was a journey. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but, um, yeah, I mean, people still like say that was like the first most memorable video of like how they found out who I was. So. I mean, I'm really glad I did it. It was really fun. It helped me bond with the community more. Yeah, yeah man. It's one of my favorite video series by far. Um, and like I said, I'll put it on the screen. People go to your channel and check it out. Um, but I'm also really glad that you brought up Art Emotion, man. You've been like segueing perfectly across things that I've always wanted to ask yeah. you about. Uh, and, you know, I, I definitely remember all of your Art Emotion submissions. Um, and, you know, you could speak at length a little bit longer on this. But uh, um, I remember the 2014 one that you talked about, same year as Moving Blocks one. Um, I remember 2017 specifically because that's where you featured a lot of stuff like double cork both sides, double full both sides. The 2019 submission was was super dope as well because it was cool at the end of it. You announced you were opening your own gym, which is like the time that you announced motive. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that has always blown my mind as someone who has like been an MC and a hoster of multiple Red Bull art emotions is, uh, you have technically, have you ever qualified via the actual video rounds? Cause yeah, if I'm not, I, I believe from 2014 to 2019, you've submitted videos and you've actually only competed two times when you went to an onsite qualifier, if that's right. Yeah. So I've only ever competed because I actually like, uh, had my, I was, thankfully, I had sponsors at the time who were able to pay for it, but they paid for me to go try out the on-site qualifier, uh, and I got in one year through that, and then the other year that I went, I actually didn't qualify, which was interesting because that year I actually had more fun when I didn't qualify because, like, two emotions hit me immediately when they didn't announce my name and I, like, didn't qualify to get in. I was like, oh, I'm sad I didn't get in, and then I was like, I'm in Greece and I don't have anything to do now. Yeah. I'm going to train so hard. True story. <laughs> so it was like both sad and happy when I didn't qualify that year. Honestly, that year I had way more fun because like all the stress immediately went away. And I was like, dude, I can just train and make a sick video now. So yeah, both, both emotions happened that year. But uh, yeah, I never made it in through the online qualifiers. Um, and I've submitted pretty much every year. Um, since 2014 and you know there's been all kinds of debate about whether i should or shouldn't have but the fact of the matter is uh the more i've thought about it more recently especially over the last year and i haven't talked as much openly about it in the last year um but i have thought a good bit about it and it's just like i got a little bit um upset with like the last year that i tried and didn't mm -hmm. qualify and the more i thought about it the more i was like man, this is like a new sport, a new thing. And like right now, the way purple competitions work is it's just super biased. Like whatever the judges want to see is what's going to get into the competition. And I didn't keep that in mind when making my submission. When I made my submission every year, all I did was focus on, well, like what tricks do I think are going to be the most impressive outside? What video is going to make me the most proud? And I'm very happy and super just like, Super, super happy about every single video that I made because it made me proud. I didn't make it for the judges. But the thing is that if I would have did some more research on the judges and what they actually wanted to see and potentially even reach out and message them and, sit and ask them questions on like which trick would get more points, this trick or this trick, and I would have catered it towards the judges, there's a higher chance that I would have gotten picked. And, you know, that's my fault for not doing that. But I'm more happy that I, was just, I just did the tricks that, that I really wanted to do outside. 
And even if they got less points, they're the tricks that made me more happy. And I think in the long run, that was maybe a better better move on my part. I think going into the future, if I ever did decide to resubmit again, I might do a little more research on like what the judges want because I've just come to realize that it's just always like whether you whether you try to avoid bias or not. Right now, with the current parkour judging curriculum, not curriculum, but system that they have for judging, like there's just bias in it. And I feel like it's maybe kind of the same for tricking. Like tricking, there's not like any sort of like list of of criteria of points. It's just like the judges are just like, well, that was dope, and they just point at someone, you know. So it's just like it's a new sport. Like there's just gonna be bias in there, and you can't be upset about it. Like you just gotta have fun and like do what you enjoy doing. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you, man. It is kind of like you said, like we're in not only are our sports very new and in its infancy, but like you said, like it's still like, you know, judging is still left open to personal opinion because we're not doing standardized stuff like in gymnastics where it's a compulsory score or standardized skill that you can judge, you know. So, yeah, it is rough. I'm very curious to see what happens. And I've talked to other guests on the Jamcast. Uh, we're really curious to see how breakdancing gets uh, taken care of in the Olympics as far as their judging system is concerned because breakdancing battles are the same thing where generally speaking you just have two guys battling and at the end of it guys point to one side or the other so i'm curious to see how that's going to do on a stage like the olympics you know yeah that'll that'll be super interesting like that'll be like the first sport that i know of that's like also a little bit more leaning towards just like bias of like they don't have a specific set of skills so like what are they gonna do like like uh, another interesting thing that it, it doesn't have as much to do with breakdancing. Maybe it does. Maybe it applies. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it kind of does because sometimes breakdancers do tricking stuff as well. But there, you know, there was that. It, it's not as big of a deal anymore. But there was that thing where like is parkour different than free running? Like people when they think parkour and free running, typically they think parkour is like jumps and vaults and things like that. And then free running is more flips and stylish things. Who cares what you call it? I don't really care about that. I don't have a huge opinion on that. Call it whatever you want to call it. What is interesting to me is that in competitions, depending on who the judge is, a big jump can literally get more or less points than a flip mm-hmm. in a competition, which in my opinion, and this is, you know, I'm biased. It's just me. But also I look at it from a point of physics. Any any like let's say you have two platforms and they're like some random distance apart it doesn't matter but they're one locked in distance apart any jump across that gap in my opinion is a preparation for a flip across that gap I feel if you can jump across the gap then that you literally have to do that or you should physically be able to do that before you can flip across it therefore the flip should always get more points in my opinion mm-hmm. now that's my opinion people can disagree but according to physics typically it's like more dangerous and harder to flip across things now and the reason that i'm kind of reasoning uh or saying all that and clarifying that is because there was a year in art of motion where that really started to kind of click and clarify in my mind that it really is all based on the judges because there was um pedro sagaldo who Mm -hmm. went in the same heat as alfred scott i was there that year i know i i saw i was there yeah yeah, so he did those fat jumps, and he passed on to the next round, and Alfred didn't. And Alfred did two types of gainers that no one in the, else in the world was doing. He did dash gainer and cascader yeah, yeah. and didn't move on to the next round because Pedro did some fat jumps. Yeah. And I'm like, 
you know, it's, it's my opinion, but in my opinion, it's so much easier to jump across things than it is to get your head like this far away from something and flip. Like, I don't know, my opinion, but like that's that's the first competition where it started to click in my mind where I was just like, man, like he got picked because the judges thought that that jump was forward than a flip, even though in my mind it's not that way. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. when I started to realize like, man, it's really not about like what I think is cooler or more dangerous or what I think is like better. It's if this is a competition, it's about what the judges choose. So that's when I started to realize like, man, I should really maybe just like do more research on what they think are going to get more points. And I think that's when I started really thinking hard about like, man, do we need to write, do we need to like rewrite the system of judging parkour? Do we need to like rewrite this whole thing? Am I right? Are they right? Like who's even right in this situation? Do we need to, separate parkour out more do you need to write a list of like this skills worth this many points this skills worth more and it's it's super complicated because not only is it like let's say let's say a cast back and you know push off your hands and do a backflip that can be worth one amount of points if you do it off something head height mm -hmm. but then it's worth way more points if you can do it off something that's your knee height because that's so hard so it gets really complicated because you can't just like list a trick and list how many points it's worth it gets way more complicated than that. So there's definitely like, um, I think down the road as we start to solidify more tricks and people start to calm down on like how many rotations are possible and things like that. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think we can come up with some kind of system that's a little bit better than what we have. And I think we just like trial and error, you know, and that's that's part of the really cool opportunity that I have in my gym. Every, every week we try to do competitions at the gym. Right now we just do speed comps every week. Yeah. But as we get more people coming in the gym, I want to start doing style comps every week and just mess around with different formats each week and see what works and see what doesn't work because I'd love to solidify something that more people agree upon. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you, man. I, for a long time as someone that's, you know, had an opportunity to work for Red Bull and be at all of these art emotions around the world, I always had like, a, you know, obviously I respect the judges and I'm friends with almost all of them, but I always did find some difficulty in the way that the judging system was, 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 I guess, presented and the way that you could skew someone's score because they give five judges the opportunity to score someone between one and a hundred. And that's such a big disparity. Whereas like in, in martial arts competitions, we score people out of like a 10.0 system, but we say like, Hey, if they're a black belt, we pretty much are only going to rank them from a 9.0 to a 10.0. Cause they're at a certain skill level, you know? So then you're all like within range. I've seen some of the, like the judging systems on the art of motion go where one guy gets a 90 and they give another guy a 20. And that guy's basically eliminated from the competition. Cause one category, yeah. he got a 20. He has no chance now. Yeah. yeah, in that specific competition, I had a bunch of things that I thought specifically should be changed. Like there were heats, and I thought mm -hmm. that was kind of. Mm -hmm. I, I understand. They they told me several reasons why they did the heats. They said that the the first person would always get way less than the last person, so their solution was just put it in heats, and then that makes like each heat more fair. Like their scores would be more similar in each heat. But then I was like, that doesn't solve the problem. It just makes it harder to see because the first person in each heat still got way less points than the last person, which is what happened in Alfred's heat. Yep, yep, Alfred yep, went yep. first. Pedro, I don't think he went last, but he, he might have went last. He went close to last. And Pedro got more points because Alfred went first. And whoever goes first always gets less points because they have to – whoever goes first, you have to put them around a 50. Yeah. That way you can go up or down from their score. So totally. Like, 
it just it needs to be clarified a bunch more like the heat system i didn't like i also don't i'm not a fan of live scoring i understand mm. that it's more entertaining if you immediately get like a live score but if you don't see everyone's runs first and then put a score on each because we don't have a system of like this points worth this many this points worth this many like each skills worth this many points you can't come up with a live score because yeah. if the first person does something ridiculously hard and you score them at a 50 because you don't know whether to put them high or not because no one else is gone, then the last part, it's just going to be all messed up. So I'm really against live scoring currently. I think that's something eventually that could be done once we get a different system. But yeah. I think that uh, live scoring right now is is hindering the, the outcome. Uh, now, whether it's hindering the actual like, audience yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not actually sure about that as well either. They say like live scoring more entertaining, more people will watch if there's live scoring, but I don't even know if that's true. Like, I've never watched a competition where I'm like, man, if they didn't have live scoring, I'd turn this <laughs> off right now. Like, I've never thought that. I'm always watching because I either know someone who's competing or because like I just want to like meme around on the live stream and make jokes and stuff. Like, yeah. like no, I, I feel like no one personally watches that much for the for the live scores but you know i could be wrong maybe a small percentage of people really care about that or something but i think the whole system needs to be rethought i think i think a panel of people who know a lot about um just like parkour and what they're talking about in general just need to get together and maybe come up with something better than what we have yeah, I'm super curious to see what happens as well. And I, I've been following your gym too, so I see the uh, the Instagram stories where you're showing the speed competitions with students and you know people at your gym and stuff like that. And I think there's a, a great future ahead of for our sport as far as uh, speed competitions going, because obviously we see the success and fascination with Ninja Warrior because it's just a, a quantitative result where everyone does the same course and it's just fastest man to the end, and that may be the thing that helps us. Yeah, that's that's why that's part of the reason that why I do speed comps every week is because. Typically in parkour, there's three types of competition. There's speed, there's skill, and there's style. Yeah, speed yeah. is like you make a course, you run through it, fastest time wins. So easy to be in charge of because it's the like easiest. there's no arguments. It's just like fastest time wins. Yeah, so easiest. easy to be in charge of. Um, skill, a little bit harder because you have to make up different categories. Like you have to make a big jump and whoever like can – like you make like a series of jumps and whoever can get the farthest jump essentially gets more points and wins. And then you do that for each category, swing, jump, vault, whatever categories you choose. It's a little more complicated in terms of making the actual course. But in terms of like um, judging, that one's still easy too because it's like, man, whoever did the – whoever did the hardest challenges – Whoever jumped the farthest, swing the farthest, whatever challenge, whoever got the most points through that one, that's still pretty easy. Style competition, we still don't have like a set amount of points for anything or how we figured that out yet. So style comps are at the at the point where it's just like really hard to deal with right now. But like skill and speed are both like competitions that are really easy to judge, and I could see going a lot farther, uh, a lot sooner than skill, or a lot sooner than style competitions because style competitions are just so biased but also style competitions are in my opinion and from what i've been, what what i've seen in terms of view wise of live streams and in person style competitions are the ones that get the most views yeah, yeah. so it's interesting that the one that has the most views is like the least formatted <laughs> one of all of them like <laughs> like that's just kind of weird but like it, it's super entertaining like we, we need to figure it out and uh, make it better but I'm super excited for all the online things that are coming out right now. Um, that that really solves a big gap in uh, in a lot of, a lot of problems that were in current competitions. Like um, let's take Red Bull for example. We were talking about it. For Red Bull, there was a pretty common thing going on for a while where if you placed 
think it was like top five or something, you automatically qualified for the next year. But like within that year time span, like you could get injured, you could just not train very hard, not be very good. Like whereas in these online competitions where it's just like you submit an online video, like if you're injured, you just don't submit an online video. Whereas if you're already pre-qualified for something and then you're injured, we have to go through that whole process of like, oh wait, now we have an extra spot. We have to invite someone else in. Like, I do think that there's a really cool future of, of online competitions because anyone can compete from anywhere and you don't have to worry about people like not showing up because they got injured last minute and stuff. Cause it's like, it's just all online. If you don't compete, you just don't submit a video and things like that. Um, I think, I think the online competitions are really cool. I'm enjoying watching everyone's, uh, everyone's time and trying to, uh, deal out with that one more thing about online competitions um i recently submitted into a competition specifically because there were prizes for all top 10 oh and i was like that's a, that's a like, most, most online competitions right now they give like one through third place a prize and like the first place prize is like the only prize that's like actual decent money yeah yeah and i saw a competition that was run by i think it was just called like ninja parkour japan or something like that yeah yeah um that that was giving out like top like 10 prizes all the like $500 plus I was like I was like man I can definitely get top 10 at least (laughs) like I'm gonna submit to this I don't care if I get first like even if I get like you know eighth place I'm gonna get like 500 bucks or something like that so I submitted I got fifth place and I won a thousand bucks and I was like there needs to be more competitions where not even if their prizes are that big necessarily but I think online competitions need to focus more on the amount of the prizes because mm-hmm. it, let's say like if Tempest started instead of giving five hundred dollars to first place or whatever they're doing, if they started giving ten people prizes of other things, maybe like you know bottom five through through ten, they all get like a free Tempest shirt or something like that. I think more people would submit because more people are in the mindset of like. Well, I might be top 10, you know, like I think the the more prizes we end up giving out in terms of not just first through third, that could potentially draw more people into doing it because it's what drew me in to submit into the competition that I ended up uh, getting fifth place and winning stuff in. And if they did another one where they gave out top 10 prizes like that, I would totally do it again. So I think uh, that's some good advice if anyone's listening who's in charge of those competitions. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I, I never really thought about that. And that's something to definitely take into consideration as I'm going to venture into some online tricking stuff. So I appreciate the insight on that, man. That's super cool. Um, yeah, and now along the lines of like style stuff with parkour and free running, like obviously you're world renowned for having such a unique style from, you know, doing stuff on both sides to just like, you know, the vocabulary of tricks and skill set that you have. I think one of the coolest things I saw, though, was uh, in 2019, you put out your first tricking sampler. And I just always wanted to ask you about like, what is the inspiration that you get behind the types of combinations that you put together and how are you able to formulate them? Do you like write them down ahead of time or do you just like go to the gym and see how your body flows and you're just reactionary based on the positioning of your body? So it's kind of like this for a lot of my sessions. Um, But specifically for that video, the tricking sampler I made, I specifically had in mind that I knew if I made a regular tricking sampler, it would be pretty weak. Like the most quirks I can do is six in a row. I can do six in a row on both sides. I know, which is crazy. <laughs> but, but I can't like, I can't, I've never even done a dub dub, which is like pretty common nowadays for tricking. So like I knew I wasn't going to get very, 
very far. I'd be very proud of my, my tricking video if I made a normal tricking video. So my whole idea behind that tricking video I made was what are the weirdest, most unique combinations I can do so that people will start to get influenced to start moving more creatively. Okay. Because a lot of people, whether it's in tricking parkour, like in every sport, it's a natural thing to see what everyone else is doing and to get inspired by that and try to do that. And I wanted to inspire people to try to almost think for their own and just get in the position where they, they start moving more creatively. So for that video, I had a lot of inspiration through a couple different people who moved uh, really, really just uniquely. A lot of them are like circus people. Mm. Aaron Hakala. Aaron Hakala is one of my favorites. Been a super big fan, uh, super big fan of him for a long time. Uh, one of the few people I actually haven't met through parkour yet. I really do want to meet him. He seems like a super friendly guy. I know a bunch of people who have met him. And they said specifically that I would like him a lot and that he's super friendly. Um, so Aaron Hakala, he's like a circus dude. He does a lot of T-board stuff. Yeah. Um, and then forgetting uh louis west oh my louis god west. people don't yeah. know about louis west bro his yeah, louis his, west. he flows yeah, so beautifully west. he has his youtube videos like ragmuffin and yep. like all that stuff he puts out dude he's just got literally like i think ragmuffin and all those other videos he puts out literally just like four to five minutes of just like the weirdest movement you'll ever see like and a lot of it you'll see the you'll see inspiration if you watch his videos and then watch my tricking mm -hmm. video you'll see a lot of similarities where i just picked out things that i thought were either funny or just really unique and just put them into my tricking lines like and that specific video um i don't know where i got it from whether it was a mixture of like a bunch of different parkour stuff i'd seen or maybe i saw i saw a little bit of the influence in louie as well but i got really into just doing like i don't know what it'd be called tricking but i just always call it like tiptoe tricks yeah 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 you're like you don't you don't really use any of your steps you're not pushing off each step you're literally just tapping your feet and then hucking a trick yeah and i got super influenced by that because i was like man these are pointless steps that look so funny and stupid to me that like it just cracks me up so much i have to do something with it so a lot of my a lot of my like creative weird tricks from that video just came from literally just me thinking that they're funny like just movements where I'm like, man, that's a funny movement. Can I make that cool? Yeah. Like, that's a really, really fun thought process to go through if you're trying to learn or make up or invent a new trick. Like, do something with your body where you're like, this is a funny movement. Like, this looks stupid. Can I make it cool? Yes. And as soon as you can, it becomes a really, really unique, cool trick. And I did that for a lot of the tricks in that video. And then a lot of the other inspiration just came from from just kind of messing around and seeing how my body felt that day i would start with one idea and be like well you know typically out of like a tbr you would swing a cork or a gainer like what's something else that i can do mm -hmm. that you wouldn't think to do out of a tbr or out of whatever trick it is and that's where um my kind of thought process was when i did the round off double side flip traveling backwards yeah. was just like man what do you never see someone do and i was like the ground off and then anything besides double back or double full yeah. <laughs> so i eventually came to the point where i was like man well round off double inward tunnel or double inward side or whatever you want to call it um and that was kind of like my concept for the whole video just like what tricks can i do that will when people watch it confuse people or make them laugh or make them start to laugh and be like well that was actually kind of cool <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so yeah that was kind of my thought process behind that whole video
That's dope, man. And now, like, you've been someone who, like, you know, besides myself, like, and all your followers, like, you've contributed so much to the sport, uh, you know, obviously from all the things we've talked about as well to moves. Like, you're you're the first person I saw do 720 front outside, super clean, off a drop. Uh, at this point in your career, like, are you still chasing specific moves or are you at a level right now where you're just kind of more focused on maintenance and giving yourself to your students with how much you're coaching? So... I definitely, over the last, like, so what was it? I was like 21, 22 when I broke my knee the first time. And I broke it because of just how much I trained and didn't rest. And I got to the point where I was training so much that even my rehab and strengthening and stretching, like, couldn't keep up with the amount I was training. And eventually one day on a landing, I was doing a bar dismount and I landed. And it looks like, I have the video. It looks like I landed completely fine. Like, I literally hit my feet, tapped my hands, got up and walked away. I was like, man, that felt weird on my knee. I went to go grab water. And by the time I came back and I was about to try it again, by the time I got back from getting water, I was like, my knee feels real weird. I think I'm going to call it and give it a night. I went to bed, woke up, and I was like, I can't move my knee. <laughs> so I went, I went to the doctors, and I was like, 100% expecting them to say, like, ah, oh, you partially tore your tendon. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Like, my tendon's, like, been giving me problems for years. And I went there, and they're like, we're going to x-ray it. And I was like, will that show a tendon tear? And they're like, no, nah, but, like, we got to do this first. And I was like, fine, you know, you're a doctor, you just want my money, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> they x-rayed it, and they're like, nah, your knee's broken. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and apparently, upon that landing, I had put so much stress on my tendons and done so much rehab on my tendons that my tendons were actually so strong and tight that upon that landing, my tendons pulled my kneecap apart into two pieces. Crazy. So that's how my knee broke, which is crazy to think. Like, that's just a crazy thought. Yeah. So then, like, about, they told me, like, you know, don't do anything for six months and then get back into it, like, super slowly. So I was like, all right. I'm going to wait six months and then probably hop right back in. And that's what I did. Yeah. And then because I did that, my knee broke again. No. Like it just refractured in the same spot. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, like I'm getting older. Like I'm actually going to have to do this correctly. So then I waited another six months and then I slowly got back into training. And that's when I started really heavily getting into trampoline because instead of just immediately going back to doing flips on concrete, I literally started – with trying to balance on one foot on the ground. Once I can do that, as soon as I could do that, I got on my trampoline, tried to balance on one foot on trampoline, did that for a few days, got to the point where I could bounce on one foot on trampoline about this high off the trampoline. Wow. And I started progressing to the point where I started just trying to do like really basic tricks on trampoline and try to just strengthen my knee back to where I wanted it to be. And it took me about another six months, so a year and a half through the first moment where I broke my knee, um, to get back to a point where I was doing tricks on trampoline that were even harder than when I started, I finally had actually worked my way up to strengthening it to further than where it had been. And through that process, I just got so comfortable with being on trampoline because a trampoline at any point, you can always just turn out to your back. Yeah. You don't have to take the pressure on your legs if you feel like you're not going to land it good. That I got real good on trampoline real quick. And uh, that helped my air awareness so much. And it also helped with something i didn't expect it to help with which was bar tricks and there's a video on youtube that i made called bob is back and it was after i finally rehab my knee and got stronger and you'll notice that i had a lot of really cool trampoline and bar skills because i realized that trampoline and bars are way more similar than most people think 
like a lot of the body positions and things that you have to hit on trampoline are the exact same thing you have to do on bars. A lot mm. of people have realized it because I've made videos on it before. Anyone who hasn't seen my videos maybe hasn't made this connection yet. But a Cody on trampoline is literally the same exact thing as a swing cast on a bar. Yeah, body position wise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I made a lot of those connections along the way. And my trampoline training that came from me injuring my knee actually ended up helping me a ton in terms of understanding body mechanics when it came to bars. So I instantly kind of like got better at both of those, which was really cool. And then my knee injury also forced me for that long six months where I was progressing back into it to do a lot more tricks where I was like bouncing on my back or my arms especially. And that's when I started to get really good at just doing like handstand backflips on trampoline. And I got really strong arms because I was like, I can't put a ton of pressure on my legs right now. Guess I'll jump on my arms. So, uh, yeah, I got I got all kinds of unique tricks on my hands as well at that point, and that made my arms stronger, which made me even more ready to do more bar stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, everything's kind of a, a, a blessing and a curse all in disguise at the same time when it comes to that stuff. Like, when I injured my knee, I learned so many life lessons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Like, first thing I learned is that I didn't have anything else going for me besides training in life. Because as soon as I got injured, I broke my knee. I had never before in that point really been injured to where I couldn't do anything. Like when I broke my knee, not only did it hurt to put pressure on that leg, like I couldn't do a handstand or anything because to flex any muscle around my leg hurt real bad. So for like six months, I couldn't do literally any type of movement, which is all I knew. So in that like six months, I had a lot of life lessons learned where I had to learn to enjoy other things. And one of those things would be like like cooking or like uh-huh. juggling or solving Rubik's cubes and just like learning to enjoy other things in life besides just making the only part for my life. And that was a really cool lesson that I learned along the way after getting hurt. And that was like really a blessing in disguise because it made me just get better at other things in life. And it that prepared me for where I am now, where now I'm older when I was, you know, Back, back when I was talking about uh, being like 15, I trained like every day, like four to six hours a day. I can't do that anymore. My knees and body will just hurt if I do that. I train like, you know, I train a day, I rest a day. I train the next day, then I rest the next day. I just have to, otherwise my body will just be in pain. Um, so when I broke my knee and I learned things, like I learned that I actually really enjoyed cooking. And I learned how to cook a bunch of things. I do that on my rest days. I learned how to juggle and learned how to juggle a bunch of different things like juggling traditionally as well as like doing double sticks and flower sticks and uh um uh, most recently i started learning to like juggle cones on my rest days and like doing cone flips and tricks and that's been super fun and um just finding finding ways to have fun um where other people might think you know to not to not even try it here there's this thing on my desk right now i'll pick it up and show you this thing's called smack food you ever seen this thing before but essentially like you smack it and it flies up and you play it with two people oh yeah it's like birdie it's like badminton yeah 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 yeah, yeah, like like, i buy little toys like this and play and just like i find little hobbies like that that like this will help my hand-eye coordination but it'll give my legs rest for a day and i'll just find random things that are fun to do like that and those will be my rest days. So my rest days aren't necessarily like resting, like just sitting on a couch. My rest days are, well, what parts of my body, like can I use to give the parts of my body that need a rest a rest? Um, 
So that's been really cool to experiment with and just like find different things. One of the recent things I've been doing is uh, my friend Roland Hannigan, uh, me and him, we just like slide down stuff. Like, you don't just need slide. any part of your body active and like you don't take any impact if you're sliding on stuff. So we like we slide down handrails. I have a boogie board or a body board in my car, my trunk, like at all times, just in case I ever see something that just seems like I might be able to slide down on a boogie board and I just slide down it. Like in my most recent video, my, uh, my birthday jam video, yes. it started snowing and we slid down the staircase on a boogie board that I had in my car. And we just like find things like that on rest days or when we're tired, even like after the session, like that was during the session, like yeah. we went out and slid on stuff. Like, we just find other things to have fun with and that that we kind of just did um over time just to have more fun as well just find more fun things in life to do not just on rest days but just in general and that's kind of been really cool to uh to in the progress of social media as well because you know uh, a big part of my income for a while i don't focus on it as much anymore but it still is like a passive or, goes into savings income from social media mm-hmm. uh it's helpful for that because if all i ever do is just post parkour i'll probably mostly only get like parkour followers whereas when i do things like slide down stuff and run and scream and jump off the building into the resume stuff like you do things that people find funny you get more followers through that and now you can sustainably you know make a living off that as well there was there was two years of my life where i lived off just social media and I was focusing super heavily on just like putting out as much content as possible. Mm-hmm. And that was a super fun two years because I got to make my own schedule of when I got to work and I got to make my own schedule of like when I wanted to work, what I wanted to do that day. And it was super fun at the time. Um, but one of the cool things about that is I could literally do whatever I wanted. You know, if I thought that day I wanted to focus on, you know, just training super hard and working towards making a really cool video, I could do that. If I wanted to just focus on like making tutorials and trying to get those posted out there, I could do that. Or if I wanted to just slide on stuff, I could just slide on stuff. <laughs> and like it was, it was a really cool time, and like I still enjoy doing a lot of those things that I found out I enjoy on the on the on the road of recovery of uh, making my knee better. Oh, I forgot to say this. I meant to say this at the beginning, but when I when I first injured my knee, the first three days, I didn't know what to do, so I. I like, had my brother grab my Nintendo 64 and I played Mario 64 for three days straight because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do with my life. And literally like from the second I woke up to the second I went to sleep, played just Mario 64 and got all 120 stars and beat the whole game in those three days. Like, I was watching like people speed run and like, I told you I get addicted to stuff. Yeah, and exactly. I got addicted to it, beat the whole game. And then after I beat the game, I was like, man, now what? Like, I don't know what to do with my life. And that's when I started like realizing like I need to try other things. I tried like cooking and all that stuff that I'm interested in now. But man, it was really funny going down that process of just like, man, I don't know what to do. Guess I'll play Mario 64. <laughs> that is wild. And and along the lines of like how you kind of laid it out there where there was two years where you're putting out content and how th- some of it you were just doing for fun, like sliding and yelling. Uh, and, and for your diehard fans, I feel like they would be pissed if I didn't ask about this. But can you just explain, is that the, uh, the reason behind the Oppo Bob account? Is that how that emerged? Was that just a way that you could have two separate platforms or... Bob's interesting, man. Bob's been so many different things. I actually haven't posted anything on Bob in a while. It's been a while. Uh, ever, since, ever since Reels, I started to use Reels because um, I realized on Reels, like, 
where I'll just post like Bob stuff on Reels, mm. and that um, instead of posting on Bob that way, all get my traffic. two separate accounts get combined into one, and hopefully I'll get more more of a following because of that, and I won't have to half my followers because of two separate accounts. Um, but Bob started as a joke because the guys from uh, Boston, so Alfred Scott, yes. Alex Lanatelli, all the guys in the, the Sandy Banana Gang, yes. all those guys um, started. <laughs> so we were in the basement of, of Andrew Friedman's house, uh, the Grab Gang. The Grab Pad. I was, I was just training with Andrew this afternoon, Doug. <laughs> so we were, we were in his basement, and we're all sleeping there that night. All of us, us guys from the Sandy Banana Gang, we all traveled out there together, and we're sleeping there. And I walk into the room after like grabbing some water, taking a shower or something, and they're all telling rumors about me <laughs> that aren't true to each other, like as a joke. Like it was the funniest thing. Like I walked in and they were just like, yo, I heard Bob Reese can uh, deflate himself and slide under doors. Like it was the funniest stuff. Like yeah, they were just making it. It's like, you know, that, you know, when you sleep over at your friend's house and you guys just stay up a little too long, like in the dark, just saying stupid stuff. It was like that. I walked in on that happening. And um, eventually it got to the point where, like, people started, like, joking about, like, Oppo Bob and me having two different personalities <laughs> and stuff, um, like, as if there was actually two different Bobs, because I, at that point I knew how to twist both directions, yeah. and they were, like, starting a rumor that, like, there were two different versions of me, and one of them twisted one direction, one of them twisted the other, and I was just really good at hiding it. And then we jokingly, uh, I, was, I jokingly started the account, and my first few videos, if you go back and scroll to the first things on Bob, it's literally just me doing tricks on my opposite side. And I was originally only going to make the account for tricks that I do on my opposite side and just uh, post them there as if like I was a separate person, essentially. Okay. And then eventually, over time, I had all these videos on my phone of just like funny, stupid stuff that I did just to make my friends and my wife and everyone in town laugh. I would film them and I wouldn't post them anywhere because I was like, these aren't things people want to see on Instagram. They just want to see me training. And I had all those videos saved up. And eventually at some point, I think it was when I broke my knee, I just started posting all those funny videos on Oppo Bob. And, and then I'd save all my training clips for, for Bob account. And uh, it started to get to the point where Oppo Bob had like, started to get more of a following and i was like man i guess people do want to see me just doing stupid stuff and having fun <laughs> so then i was like eventually uh, once reels came out and i started trying and i started doing more tiktok as well i kind of started to blend those two things back together and started not just posting training but posting all the other fun things that i do as well in my personal free time so whenever i'm not training you know screaming and running and sliding on stuff or whatever i end up doing um so yeah it's it's been interesting how like how that's all went along like that specifically only posted training and then didn't think this would work well but it did work well and then they all kind of blended back together and it's it's been super interesting like uh, just seeing where social media has taken me in general it's 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 really cool because it's given me um it's given me like a life and who i am like i lived off just income from social media for two years and like that was super cool time and um now i'm not like as relying on the uh, the financials of that anymore as I used to be, and I'm trying to do other stuff and just kind of posting on social media, um, mostly just for fun. But all the income that I make off that, off like TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that, I'm mostly just putting straight into savings so that I can, uh, you know, just invest in the future and like having a kid and things like that. But it's been super interesting uh, how social media has 
been uh, how, how how much it's impacted my life. Like I don't know where my my life would be right now without social media. Yeah, totally, man. And I think one of the things that's so funny to me, and it's like such a juxtaposition is that like, you know, we all follow you for your insane skill level and to see the the videos you release on your YouTube. And what's so funny is that like of all the videos you've released from your art emotion submissions to, you know, like moving blocks, the video that has the most views with three and a half million hits is your parkour fails video from 2015 to 2017. Um, dude, it's I so crazy. About that. <laughs> I know it, and, and I do too, because I'm like, dude, this guy is so skilled. It's messed up that his most viewed video is just like a bunch of fails with him and his friends, you know? So, you know, my first initial thought when I realized that video blew up and it's my way most viewed video compared yeah. to all my other videos, my first thought was like, man, this sucks. Like, now I'm just known for like failing or whatever. But then, you know, I realized like, you know, the people who are watching that, they don't actually know me for that. They're just looking up fail compilations on YouTube or whatever. And I started to realize, like, man, I don't blame them. Like, fail videos are great. I watch fail videos all the time. Like, no wonder it blew up. Like, I love watching fails. Like, I've even gotten inspiration from fails before. Like, I've literally purposely watched a fail compilation with the intent of trying to look at the fails and the body positions that they're in and what they're doing and try to turn that into a trick itself. Mm -hmm. Like, really, all movement can be turned into something cool and that's something that kind of went along with my tricking videos like i would take funny or stupid movements stuff that i thought was really uncool and try to turn it into a cool trick same thing with fail videos you can take fail videos and watch the movement in them and be like man that's funny how can i make it cool and that's like a thought process you can go through as well um which is some of what i did but mainly i just like watching people fail dude it's funny like, <laughs> i can see why it's my most <laughs> totally bad and now this is the last question i'll ask you about uh injuries and you know i don't want to keep take up too much of your time i know it's late there but you know between the parkour fails video 2015 2017 uh you 2018 you released a video where you show your broken teeth and your concussion one of the things i've always wanted to ask you about and uh you know it's up to you if you want to talk about it here but um when you put out your video in November of last year, uh, Bob the Tomato, Bob the Tomato, uh, the last clip of the video, it doesn't seem like anything really happened at all. But like I read through the description and, and I remember seeing it, but you said that you got a concussion in there and you, you suffered amnesia. Uh, I was just curious, like if you could, you know, just kind of let us know what happened. Cause I think for a lot of your viewers along with myself, like it looked like you landed the trick and rolled out fine, but obviously like, you know, based on the description, it seems like it went a little bit different. Yeah. So, that was actually real confusing for a bunch of different ways. Confusing, obviously, because I forgot what happened because I had amnesia, <laughs> but also because, like, I did seem fine for so long after it. So I don't know any of this for myself. This is, like, all stories of what people told me happened after because I don't remember that whole day at all. That whole day, wow. honestly, that whole weekend is just out of my mind. I don't know. My only memory from that weekend is what people said and the videos I have on my phone. Okay. Um, so that was just a crazy experience in general. So that whole video I was making the Bob Tomato video, feel free to add a clip or whatever in here of that. But I was working on for a whole year, I was working on a video where like every other weekend I would just do a massive front flip. I would just try to find spots where I could do them. And that, that video took me like a year to film and I finally put it out in November because the last one I wanted to do, I was saving the biggest and farthest one for last was that one of the courthouse here in Greenville. Um, and I knew it was going to be big and I knew it was like, 
uh, it probably wasn't going to be the cleanest landing because I knew how much impact it was going to be and that my body would probably like, I'd have to roll a little more over my side than usual because it was just going to happen so fast. Um, so I saved that one for last and that's why I was able to put the video out even after having the concussion because I had all the other clips already ready and it was the last clip, like the very last one that I was getting ready for. Um, but yeah, so what happened that day was I set out to do that front flip, uh, went out and did it and based off of what I've talked to people about, here's what happened. I prepped the, the front flip a few times from the actual stairs first to make sure I was like ready for the height impact. Okay. But I couldn't I couldn't actually prep the distance and the height without just going for it. Like I prepped the height, but I didn't prep the distance. I just knew I could get the distance based off of other front flips I've done before in the past. Um, and then I went back, I went for it, I did that huge massive front flip. And if you watch the side angle from the top angle, it's kind of hard to see. But if you watch the side angle, which is like a phone filmed one, I know yeah, I have it on yeah. Instagram, it might also be on the YouTube video. Um, if you zoom in and watch it in slow motion, you watch my head on the landing, yeah, yeah. you can see I, I put my hands down for the landing and I try to roll and the side of my head does hit the ground. like, And it doesn't look that bad except for when you realize like you're watching in slow motion, like my head hit the ground fast. Like it was a lot of impact. Like I don't know exactly how high up that jump was, but I have to say it's probably like maybe 15 feet off the ground. And the distance I was flipping had to be close to like 20 feet. Yeah, it was, so, like, it was huge. Yeah. So when I hit the ground, it was a lot of impact and the roll was fine. My shoulder didn't hurt at all. Like nothing like that, but my head just bumped the ground and you know, concussion is when your brain's like hit the side of your skull. So my head actually didn't hurt that bad. It's just my brain hit the side of my skull so hard that I had a really bad concussion. And the effects of the concussion didn't set in for like three hours. Oh, wow. This is where, yeah, this is where it gets crazy. I do the roll, I land, I jog up, I look at the camera, and I'm like, wow, that was crazy. Like, I don't remember exactly what I said. You can watch it in the video, but I'm just like, wow, I'm really glad I did it or something like that. And they're like, are you okay? And in the video, I say like, yeah, I bumped my head a little, but like, I'm fine. And apparently that was like all I said about that. I didn't complain much about it, but I was like pretty much fine at that point. Um, but then we like turned the cameras off and apparently, I don't remember any of this, but apparently we went around to other spots and kept training for two more hours after that. We filmed other things, did a bunch of other stuff. Apparently, everyone said that I was more chill and I didn't really do much besides kind of just like hang out and do like, you know, basics and stuff. I didn't do any like other hard tricks or anything, but I kind of hung out, walked around with everyone and trained for two more hours after that. And then everyone finished training because it got dark. And apparently, I don't remember any of this, but apparently I got back in my car with two of my students. They're older, they're like 15 to 16, but I got in the car with two of them and drove them home which I don't even remember. Don't remember it. Yeah. And then drove myself home after dropping them off and then walked inside. And at that point, apparently when I walked inside is when the amnesia set all the way in. Because as soon as I opened the door and got inside, my wife was on the couch. And I don't remember this. This is like what she, she was telling me. I walked inside and I said, where am I? Who are you? To my wife. I said, who are you? To my wife. And she, at first, she said she thought it was a joke. Yeah, like, yeah. I, mean, that's I make stupid jokes like that all the time. Like, I probably shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> so, you know, I walk inside and I'm like, where am I? Who are you? How did I get here? And she's like, stop joking. And after a few minutes, she realized, like, I wasn't joking. Like, I actually had forgotten, like, everything. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, she's like, okay, 
I'm going to call the people you were just with and figure it out. She called the people I was just with and they were like, yeah, he did a huge front flip. He bumped his head, but he kept saying he was fine. Like on the ride home, he started to repeat himself a little bit, but he was driving normal. So like we just thought he was fine. And yeah, she was like, okay, well then he definitely has a concussion when you go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and man, my, my memory is so fuzzy. I literally, I remember being at the top of the front flip the whole part of the day the only part i remember is being at the top of the front flip and like looking down and being like okay i'm about to do this and then the next point that i remember in terms of my memory is i remember being in the hospital and it was like really fuzzy and i remember like people trying to talk to me and the doctors like making fun of me saying i shouldn't like be doing big flips or something some kind of stupid doctor joke or whatever and then the next memory i have after that is like being at home like waking up and like this is where it gets funny. The next memory I had um, after that was I, I remembered waking up and my head hurting and I have to use the bathroom. So I get up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and uh, I get up, I use the bathroom, I flush, I go to like stand up and pull my pants up and then I'm like, did I go to the bathroom yet? So I sit back down, I sit back down and I try to use the bathroom again. And then I think I get done with it. So I stand back up and while standing up, I forget whether I use the bathroom. So I sit back down. I have no clue how long that went on for, but it went on long enough to where my wife woke up and was like, is everything okay? Like you have amnesia, let me come check on you. And she came and checked on me. And she was like, well, clearly you like didn't flush yet. Uh, you, you went to the bathroom, flush, let's go to bed. <laughs> so, so that was crazy. But yeah, my wife took me to the hospital. Uh, turns out I had a concussion. I had really bad amnesia. Um, my head hurt and I was really fuzzy and I was in and out of stuff, sleeping like pretty much through most of the days for like a solid like few days to almost a full week. And they said that I couldn't do any type of movement or get back to coaching for two weeks. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it was a crazy experience from, from, uh, from all the funny stories that people told me that things I don't remember to, uh, to slowly getting my way back to, to training again. Um, it was a crazy experience. Like I had, I, I, like I said before, I've never done any type of drug, never done any alcohol, like nothing like that. So I've never taken anything. I've heard stories of people like blacking out from getting drunk and things like that. I've never personally experienced any type of like blackout where I lose memory. So, me at my first point getting to where like i wake up and i'm like man where am i like what date is it i don't know anything that's going on that was like really scary for me at first like i've never gone through anything like that um like apparently when i was in the hospital when we first got there you know i'm laying in the bed i'm waking up just repeating myself every two minutes asking the same questions and apparently apparently my wife told me some nurse comes in and she's like hey let's like see how like cognitive he is um what's today's date and I, I go i don't know february <laughs> and this is in november bro this is like around thanksgiving yeah this is yeah this is literally uh... like you think it's february and i was like yeah we're wearing jackets it's cold it's gotta be like february or something <laughs> so i had no clue like what day it was or anything like i literally lost like everything for that day like i didn't know anything and there was i remember there was a point where like the next day or maybe it was two days later or something, my wife had went to a Friendsgiving and the Thanksgiving leftovers she had like put in the in the fridge for me. And I remember waking up that day and like my brain was still fuzzy at that point. It was like two days after my concussion and I'm still like kind of looping a little bit. Don't don't really know what's going on. I remember going to the kitchen and looking at that plate of food 
and going like I, I remember saying the the thought like it's February, but but then them telling me it's like November, <laughs> and I thought that I had forgot and like missed Thanksgiving, and I got sad. Like I called my wife and I was like, did I miss Thanksgiving? And like she was like, no, like it's not Thanksgiving yet. That's just some leftovers. You can eat it. Like it's from a friend's giving. Like you're fine. And like that I meant my wife's amazing like she had to put up with so much for that like i i asked her the same question like a hundred times like what am i doing here why does my head hurt like so many things like i just repeated myself over and over and there was a lot of funny situations because like at that point like i was really just like a giant toddler like i didn't know what was going on or like man it's like the most uh i don't want to say vulnerable but I don't want to say stupid either, but the most stupid I've been in like yeah. a long time. Like literally every when it was at its worst point, it was literally like every thirty seconds. Like my memory just started over. Like it, from my perspective, it felt like I had just woken up every thirty seconds. So like I would literally like it feels like I wake up, I look around, I see my wife, I, I notice my head hurts, and I go, "Why does my head hurt? Where are we?" And then she would be like. Okay, okay. So your head hurts because you did this. Look on your phone. You'll see the video of you doing a front flip. You'll see why your head hurts. And I would look back at it, ask her a few more questions. 30 seconds would pass by. And then to me, it felt like I just woke up. And then I would ask her the same thing again. But instead, I never fell asleep. I kept telling her that like I thought I had just woken up. But it was just every 30 seconds, I would just gaze off and then look back at her and then just ask the same questions. But to me, it felt like I was just waking up every time. So like, man, through that one day, it probably felt like 500 days because I just woke up so many times, or felt like I woke up so many times that it was just me relapsing from amnesia. And man, it was such a crazy experience. And it was, it was pretty crazy that it only took me two weeks to get better, two weeks. And then I started coaching again. And I tr- after two weeks, you know, me, I'm addicted to parkour. I immediately started trying to like, test out the waters i tried doing like a cartwheel tried doing a handstand a front flip saw, saw what hurt and what didn't hurt and uh after two weeks um i started trying to do like cartwheels flips and things again and it didn't hurt but it made me a little dizzy so mm-hmm. i flipped and did stuff for like five minutes and i was like right, i'm gonna chill i don't want to like relapse and have some more amnesia um and i did that every day where i just like the first day I did, like five minutes of like cartwheels and handstands and stuff and then i got dizzy and i was like okay i need to chill the next day i did another five minutes but the five minutes didn't make me dizzy that day so then the next day i would do like 10 minutes and then i got to the point where it was only like three three and a half weeks before i was like fully back to training like several hours a day again so i got back into it pretty quick but man that was one of the most interesting fails and most interesting injuries that i've ever had in my life yeah, that is crazy, man. It's kind of funny, too. Like, I mean, it's not funny. It's sad. But I had a Sean Batista on here like a couple weeks ago on an episode. And uh, he had a similar instance where he went for like a, a Kong gainer variation and he hit his head. And, and uh, yeah, I remember seeing that video. That was yeah. crazy. And what's crazy about him, though, is he got like taken home and everything was fine. And then he literally didn't. He all of a sudden went to go take out the trash. And that's when it hit him like, what am I doing home? Like what happened? And he totally yeah. forgot the entire day too until he looked and watched the videos and had his homies tell him what happened. So it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that amnesia can set in that late. Like I literally trained for two more hours after my injury, thought I was fine, drove two kids home, started questioning things and started like 
starting to realize like my head started to hurt more and then it wasn't until i got home parked my car and as soon as i opened the door to walk inside like that's when it set in for me and that's when i started like really having it and that's something i didn't know about amnesia like i always assumed like you hit your head you immediately have amnesia like it didn't set in for like two or three hours for me and i guess it didn't for sean either the brain is such a crazy thing in general because, like, for example, I've had uh, multiple concussions from doing stunts in the film industry, and I've had one concussion where I fully, my eyes were open, and I couldn't see for eight hours straight, thought I was blind. I had another one where I went numb, like, head to toe for 30 minutes and thought I was paralyzed, but both of those instances, I had zero amnesia, which is so crazy because, obviously, the impact was so rough that I wasn't firing enough to see, you know, visual signals, but... Yeah. It's just crazy to think about, you know, like how it affects yeah. people Definitely. differently. Another interesting thing that, that someone told me after I was just talking to people about that injury was uh, I, I teach a, a class that we call our Fountain of Youth class. It's on Mondays. I've seen that on the website. And it's just, yeah, yeah. So it's our, it's our class for like older people in like their 50s and stuff. And there's this guy that come, his name is Bill, and he's been coming since the class started, and I love him so much. And we started talking about my injury, and something he pointed out that I never really thought about that hard. You know, I'm not like a nurse or anyone who studied that much about the brain. But he, he told me, a concussion isn't when you hit your head really hard, like this is your skull, this is your brain. Yeah. It's not when you hit your head really hard, it's when your brain gets <laughs> slammed up against your skull. So yeah. it's not the impact that actually hurt it, it's after the impact when my brain moves and hits the skull, actually. And that's something I never thought about, but... That makes for for part of the reason why that the injury can be so weird. It's it's not like oh you hit it right here and this happens. You hit it right here and this happens. Yeah. It's like depending on how you're hitting it and the force that it's hitting at, your brain's gonna bounce around in their different ways. And depending what part of your brain gets hit, like different things are gonna happen to you. Hell yeah, it's so crazy, man. Just glad that you're safe and on the road to recovery and stuff like that. It's just something I always wanted to ask since I, I never really heard the backstory. Just got to see the video, man. So, uh, yo, with that being said, man, like you know, more than anything, I really appreciate you taking time out of your night, especially post midnight. It's almost two a.m. over near your side, um, and so I don't want to keep eating up too much time. But uh, you know, for those that don't know, this is actually like the first time we've sat and had an actual conversation, and I've learned so much about you that I'm really curious what your answer is going to be to this question. Uh, and it's something that I always end with. Uh, and I, I'm just curious to think uh, and see, where do you personally see yourself five years from now? And where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Uh, five years from now, I, I want to see myself uh, in a place where my gym is, is, is more stable in terms of not just like financially stable, but I want to have raised a group of of parkour kids and made my own community where we are actually competing like against other gyms. I would love to build up not only my gym, but the gyms around this area on the East coast where we have a relationship with each other, where we can actually make teams. So I'd love to make not in the traditional sense of what you see a parkour team as now, a lot of parkour teams now just like sell clothing and they're just like a group of friends, but I want like an actual parkour team more similar to what gymnastics has, not quite that, but similar to that where it's a group of people that, you know, are, are, are paying to be on the team of, of motive, motive school movement, like that's their team. And that money that they're paying to be on the team goes to helping us buy rental cars and things to go and travel out and compete against other gyms. And hopefully those gyms will have teams and do the same thing and come travel to us. And that way the, the competition aspect of parkour can get spread more and people that are younger can start 
traveling more and competing more and making this more into a, a more realistic sport. And that's kind of like my main goal in terms of like where I really want the youth of my gym to go to. I'd also want my other classes to pick up, such as the Fountain Youth class and getting more people not involved in doing the higher impact stuff of parkour, but more older people getting involved in doing the part of parkour that helps you learn how to fall safer because that'll keep you living longer, as well as the more you're moving in general, the healthier you're going to be. You know, like people who stop moving lose the ability to move. And people who keep moving, they maintain the ability to move for longer and they can live longer because of that. So I really like to push push that aspect of parkour more and get out of people's minds that parkour is just this thing that extreme athletes want to do. Like it's a, it's a thing that we do in order to stay healthy as well. Like there's the aspect of me who does like new tricks and big flips and does things that are super dangerous, but that's not really what parkour is all about. It's about one, the community and two, like the actual movement itself, like the movement kind of gets placed on each person. It doesn't get placed on well, what the what you think the sport is. You know, most people hear Pokemon and are like, ah, jumping across was obsessed with that. It's, it's not. Like, it's different for each person. Like, my, my 50-year-old guy who comes to Fountain of Youth class, like, for me and him, like, it's just about having fun and moving instead of just, like, lifting weights every day. Like, if he can have fun moving, he's going to do it for longer. And if he does that for longer, he's going to have the ability to move longer, which is going to help him live longer. And like that's the goal. And we want to keep him as safe as possible while he's doing those things. So um, I really would like to see that progresses more as well. Um, besides my gym progressing, that's like an obvious goal of mine is my gym getting uh, better and getting more classes going and things like that. Um, you know, I'm married now. I'd love to start working towards getting financially and mentally ready to have kids. Um, but that's more of like a 10-year goal. So in terms of where I see myself at 10 years, that's more like having kids. And, uh, you know, I already have two dogs and a cat. You can hear my puppy probably through like half this half this audio. Sorry about that. He just got it. And he's like still in that phase. Um, but, yeah, so uh, having a kid, having uh, – well, I, I got a house this year. So that's it. But I'm starting to pay off a house, you know, just I guess becoming more responsible financially and more responsible just like for my life as a whole so that I can um pass that on to other people like uh, I started trying to do weekly sessions where I take my my kids from the gym actually outside it's not like a charge thing or anything like I literally just like text all their parents like in a group chat and I'm just like hey I'm gonna be training here today if your kid wants to come join me and just have fun with everyone in the community like come train with us I want to introduce those kids to like what parkour is really all about to me which is the community like when i first started parkour i had just moved here from uh from hawaii and uh well i used to live because my dad was stationed there for the air force and when i moved here i didn't have any friends or anything like i went to a new school it was like a new area for me and when i found out what parkour was and met brett that introduced me to the rest of the parkour community and i instantly had like a really tight friend group who just enjoyed doing fun things flipping jumping off stuff sliding down stuff doing whatever and i instantly had like a really tight friend group and that's like a really big part that i want to get the students that currently just come to the gym because they're just trying to learn cool stuff i'd really like to get them out to experience that community more so that's like a huge goal of mine is just like get as many kids out of the gym and just meeting the community as possible um but also yeah working towards 
being financially stable, like having a house, having everything to where I'm locked in, to where I can provide for other people, you know, people coming in from out of town, being able to like house them and do all the things that people did for me when I was first, you know, struggling to make a living with parkour. You know, when I when I first started traveling around to do parkour, I didn't have money. Like I didn't I didn't go and pay for hotels and like pay for fancy food and do all that. Like I struggled to get by, you know. I, I lived in my car people would give me free housing because I like met them on Instagram and was like, Hey, will you house me? And they were nice enough to let that happen. Like I want to be able to be in that situation for other people where if other people want to come in from out of town and they don't have the financial stability, be able to just pay for hotels and have places to stay or where I can have that. I can host people and, and just be able to further the parkour community as well as, uh, you know, just teach people um, about what the true community is all about and just having fun with it in general. Hell yeah, man. I think those are some very uh, ambitious goals, but ones that are totally achievable. And just based on all the success you've met through your personal, you know, uh, journeys through movement and also, you know, with the the newfound success with the gym, I think anything you put your mind to, you'll be able to do it, man. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next five to 10 years brings for Bob Reese. I'm excited to see too. You know, sometimes you, no one really knows where they're going, man. No, you know, you start no. aiming towards something <laughs> and then it puts you one way or the other and then you just keep going with it and... I don't know exactly where I'll be, but I'm going to keep working towards whatever I think needs to be worked towards. Hell yeah, man. And I think that's the coolest thing about these is that, uh, you know, you put it out there in the universe and, you know, hopefully we'll catch up sometime sooner or later than five or 10 years from now. And we'll see if you've far exceeded those goals and where you're at at that point in your life. So uh, before we get out of here, can you just let people know where they can continue to follow your own personal journey as well as the gym and stay up to date with everything you got going on in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my stuff on YouTube is just Bob Reese. You look that up, it'll come up. Bob Reese Parkour, whatever you want to look up, that'll probably come up. Um, uh, Instagram, right now my at is Bob Reese Cookie Monster. That's where I post most of my training stuff. And on Reels, I post more of that, that funny stuff I was talking about. Um, TikTok is Bob.Reese. And that one, actually, I have more followers than anywhere else now. I'm, I'm out almost half a million yeah. now on tiktok it's which is super sick um yeah and then for the gym uh the gym is motive underscore movement on instagram and then we have a tiktok as well but we post pretty much the same thing on tiktok as instagram so you follow either one of those and get the same thing um and i think on tiktok it's just motive movement without the underscore in between it but yeah that's where you can find us Perfect. And we'll be sure to put all those links on the screen and in the description so uh, people can hopefully head over and check out the gym sometime. Cool. Sounds good. Yo, guys, with that being said, please be sure to hit that like button, comment, subscribe for brand new episodes each and every week. Join us every Monday for Jam Breakdowns and every Friday for a brand new Jamcast, interviewing influential members of the movement community like Mr. Bob Reese himself. So that being said, guys, I got to give one more very special thank you. Thanks for coming through, Bob. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I really, I really had fun. It was been good talking to you. Hell yeah. And as always, guys, coming at you, coming through, I'm your host, Travis Wong. Thanks for joining us here on another Jamcast. Until next time, we'll see you all soon. Peace.